Chapter 13 of Mildred at Home by Martha Finley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. No day discolored with domestic strife, no jealousy but mutual truth believed, secure repose and kindness undeceived. Dryden. Months and years glided swiftly by, bringing to the Keiths only such changes as they will bring to all, added gray hair and wrinkles and a decrease of strength, vigor, and energy to the old people. To the younger married ones, an added staidness and dignity of demeanor, and more olive branches about their tables, while Annis had grown from the merry, romping child into a tall, slender maiden, even more comely than the child had been, but with a quieter step and often a dreamy, faraway look in the sweet blue eyes. She was the joy of her parents' heart, the very light of their eyes, the only child left at home, for Cyril, having completed his college course, had entered a theological seminary and was preparing to go into the ministry. There had been all along a constant interchange of letters with their relatives at the Oaks, particularly brisk on the part of Annis and Elsie, and they each knew almost as much of the thoughts, feelings, and experiences of the other as though they had lived together all these years. Letters from the Oaks were always joyfully welcomed, yet were esteemed as nothing in comparison with those that came occasionally from Ada and Don, the former of whom had become the happy mother of two children, whom she described as very sweet and lovable, adding that she had a great longing to show them to her father and mother, and it was perhaps not greater than the desire of the grandparents to see them, though that was far outweighed by their thirst for a sight of the mother's face. Mildred was still the devoted daughter she had been in earlier days, nor was she less faithful in all that concerned the welfare of husband and children. She looked well to the ways of her household and never ate the bread of idleness. She was a careful housekeeper, allowing no waste, yet she was most liberal in paying for every service done for her or hers, and was never stinting in the provision for the wants of her family. Her table was always bountifully provided, her house neat and clean, her children well and tastefully dressed, her husband's wardrobe carefully looked to. Nor did she neglect the souls, minds, or bodies of her children. Their physical well-being was to her a matter of very great importance, and while assiduously cultivating their minds and hearts, letting them never want for mother love and tender caresses, she watched over the health of each with untiring vigilance and she had her reward in their rosy cheeks, bounding steps, constant flow of animal spirits, and devoted love to their parents, especially their mother, and also in their kindness and affection toward each other. They were a very happy family, a joy of heart to Mr. and Mrs. Keith. As were Zilla's children also, she having greatly improved in her management as a mother since the babyhood of her first child. It was springtime again, the evening still cool enough for a little fire to be very enjoyable. In Dr. Landra's cozy sitting room, a bright wood fire blazed cheerily on the open hearth. The doctor himself sat over it alone and in a meditative mood. Mildred had left the room a moment before to see her children to bed, a duty she never neglected, and not only a duty, but a pleasure also. For it gave opportunity for many a sweet interchange of demonstrations of affection and many a childish confidence to mother which otherwise might have been withheld 
Also, the young hearts being warm, the feelings tender, she found it the best of all seasons for sowing good seed that might one day spring up and grow and bear fruit unto everlasting life. The doctor's meditation seemed not unpleasant, if one might judge from the calm and placid expression of his countenance. Yet occasionally there was a passing shade of doubt or anxiety. He looked up with a smile as Mildred re-entered the room. Come and sit by my side, wife, he said, and let us have a confidential chat. Do you know what I have been thinking, sitting here alone? he asked, as she took the offered seat, and his arm stole around her waist in a very lover-like fashion. No, my dear, how should I? she answered with a smile. Of your patience, I presume, some case of obscure and difficult diagnosis? Ah, you are wide of the mark, he returned with a little laugh. No, my thoughts were principally of the presiding genius of my happiest of homes, and I am ready to echo the words of the wise man, a prudent wife is from the Lord. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. You're satisfied with yours? she said inquiringly, and with a glad look up into his face. More than satisfied. Millie, love, you are my greatest earthly treasure, dearer far to me now than the day we were married. Though then I was sure I loved you as never man loved woman before. How you gladden my heart, my dearest and kindest of husbands, she said in low moved tones, and my experience is the same as yours. I loved you dearly when we were married, but I love you ten times as dearly now. How sweet is it to live together as we do, with hearts so closely united, and ever sharing each other's joys and sorrows. Burdens thus divided are so much easier to bear, while joys are doubled in the sharing. Yes, it is so, he said. Then comes the wild weather, come sleet or come snow. We will stand by each other, however it blow. Oppression and sickness, and sorrow and pain, shall be to our true love as links to the chain. They talked about their children, now three in number, and of their various dispositions, and the best mode of managing and training each. After that, breaking a pause in the conversation, the doctor said, By the way, Millie, I received a letter today from a second cousin of mine, telling me that a daughter of hers, a young lady, is in poor health, needing change of climate and scene, her physician says, and asking if I am willing to take her under my care for a time, probably until next fall. My love, would you like to take her into the family? I am quite willing if it is your wish, my dear, Mildred answered, but with a slight sigh. They were so happy and peaceful by themselves, and this stranger might prove an element of discord. It is not my wish, if at all unpleasant to you, wife, he said with an affectionate look and tone. I fear it may add to your cares and labors, yet Flora Weston may prove one of those bright, merry, winsome young things that are like a fresh breeze in a house. Perhaps so, and we are told to use hospitality one to another without grudging, Mildred added, with a pleasant look and smile. Write her at once, Charlie, if you feel inclined. I am glad of an opportunity to show some attention to a relative of yours. Just like you, Millie, he responded with a gratified look. The letter was sent the next day, and a few weeks later, Miss Weston arrived. She seemed a rather commonplace girl, quiet and undemonstrative. Mildred found it a task to entertain her, 
even with the assistance her mother and sisters could give, and they did all that lay in their power. She did not sew. She cared very little for reading. She had strength for only short walks. She was no talker, and she seldom seemed to care to listen. Anna soon voted her an intolerable bore, yet, to relieve Milly, she spent several hours of every day in her society. The doctor did share by taking her with him whenever he drove into the country. He made many attempts to draw her out, both then and when he had an evening at home. But not succeeding, he finally came to the conclusion that there was nothing in her. He would have wholly regretted having invited her, but that her health presently began to improve under his treatment. Meanwhile, Flora was silently observing all that went on in the family, especially studying Mildred, and at length her manner, which had at first been very cold and distant, gradually changed till there was at times a warmth of affection to it. You are so kind to me, Cousin Mildred, she said one day. You have never neglected anything that could add to my comfort and have always shown so much sympathy for my invalidism, far more than ever my own mother did, she added in a bitter tone. Mother is very good and pious, but she has never taken any care of her children's health. She is duly anxious about our souls, but neglecting our bodies. I must acknowledge that I came here strongly prejudiced against you, simply because I had heard you were very pious, and the way I had been brought up had made me hate piety, hate the Bible, and prayer. Oh, Flora, and you the child of a Christian mother? cried Mildred in a shocked tone. Yes, I believe mother is a real Christian, and I don't wonder you are shocked at what I have said. But if she had brought me up as you do your children, I am sure I should have felt quite differently. Is it any wonder I hate the Bible when instead of being entertained when good with beautiful stories out of it, I was always punished when particularly naughty by being forced to read a certain number of chapters in proportion to the extent of my delinquency and to commit so many verses to memory besides being prayed over a long, tedious prayer half of which I did not understand. I have always tried to make the Bible a delight to my children, said Mildred, and I think it is. Oh, Flora, I feel very sorry for you that you do not appreciate its beauty and sweetness. Are you not old enough now to put away your unfortunate prejudice and learn to love it as God's own word given to teach us how to obtain eternal life? Telling the old, old story the sweet, sweet story of Jesus and his love? I have begun to like it better since I came here, Flora answered with an abashed look. I have really enjoyed the Bible stories I have overheard you telling the children, and somehow religion seems a lovelier thing as I see it exhibited in your life and the lives of Cousin Charlie and your parents and sisters than as my mother practices it. It grieves me to hear a daughter speak so of her mother, Mildred said gently. I don't mean to be unkind or disrespectful towards her, replied Flora. But I wish to make you understand how I came to feel such a prejudice against piety and against you because I have been told you are very pious. I am quite sure mother is good and sincere and not at all puffed up and self-righteous, but I think she makes great mistakes which prejudice people against her religion. Now, my father is not a pious man, 
and some things mother does and her refusal to do some other things have so turned him against religion that he never goes inside of a church door for one thing mother won't dress like other ladies he wants to see her well dressed but she makes it a part of her religion to go looking old-fashioned and rather dowdy father buys her handsome things and she won't wear them she gives them away or cuts them up for the children and i don't wonder that he won't go to church with her i am pretty sure he might have become a regular attendant if she would only have dressed to suit him and sometimes she gets out of her warm bed on a cold winter night and goes off into a room where there is no fire and stays there for an hour or more in her bare feet and her nightdress praying then she comes back chilled through probably has a dreadful cold the next day and that makes father mad and he lays it all to her religion i love my mother cousin mildred but i can't help blaming her for at least part of my sufferings as i have told you she has never taken care of her children's health if our food was improperly cooked it was a matter of no importance and just so if our clothing beds or bedding were left unaired or if any other sanitary measure were disregarded we were often forced to eat and sleep in a close almost stifling atmosphere we wore our winter clothes into the heat of summer and our thin summer clothing far on into the damp cold days of autumn and early winter then too when i began to complain of this dreadful pain in my back no notice was taken and i was expected to do as much as if i were perfectly well and strong she would not hire as much help as she might as father was quite willing she should and i was often left to do everything while she spent hours at a time in her closet i thought sometimes that life would have been easier for me if i had a worldly-minded mother who would have taken some care of my health and i expected to find you the same kind of christian but you are very different i fear the difference is not all in my favor mildred said but don't you think health ought to be taken care of asked flora i have noticed that you are very careful of your children's as well as of their morals and manners yes mildred said i think the bible teaches very plainly that we are to be careful of our bodies what know you not that your body is a temple of the holy ghost which is in you which ye have of god and ye are not your own health is one of god's good gifts and not to be despised it is one of the greatest of temporal blessings besides to be careless of it is to lessen our ability to work for god and probably to shorten our lives which we certainly have no right to do but flora perhaps i am not so different from your mother as you think i too love to spend an hour alone in communion with my best friend and i do not find it time lost for thus i gather strength for the duties trials and temptations of life i never could meet them without the strength and wisdom that he gives in answer to prayer but you don't seem to neglect other duties for that flora said with an earnest inquiring look at mildred i hope not was the answer the bible tells us there is a time for everything and it bids us be diligent in business but also fervent in spirit serving the lord it tells us in everything give thanks and also bids us pray without ceasing 
so that it is evident that we need not always retire into the closet to talk with our Heavenly Father, but that while our hands are busy with the work He has given us to do, we may and should be ever and anon lifting up our hearts in silent prayer to Him. O oh, Flora, what a blessed privilege it is to be permitted to do that at all times and in all places, when in doubt to ask Him for wisdom and guidance though it be in regard to but a seemingly trivial matter, for great events often hang upon trifles. When tempted to indolence, petulance, censoriousness, or any other sin, to be able, on the instant, to send up a cry for strength to resist, a cry to him who is the hearer and answerer of prayer, and who has all power in heaven and in earth. Or, if danger threatens oneself or one's dear ones, what a relief to be able to call at once for help to one who is mighty to save. Flora was, in a, for her, surprisingly talkative mood. Cousin Mildred, she said, I have been admiring the good behavior of your children ever since I came here. They are so obedient, so gentle-mannered, and so polite to you and their father, to each other, and indeed to everybody. How have you managed to make them so? There is no great secret about it, Mildred said, smiling. We try to teach them politeness and consideration for others by both precept and example. My husband is always quite as polite and attentive to me as he could be to any strange lady guest. I try to be the same to him, and we both treat our children in the same manner. We never give a command when a request will answer as well, and we seldom meet with any hesitation in obedience. But if we do, I assure you, we resort to command and enforce it too. Do you teach them that they must obey because you are their parents? asked Flora with a look of keen curiosity. Certainly we do, Mildred answered in some surprise. I once read a description of a very nice kind of mother, exclaimed Flora. At least the author evidently meant her for a model. And one thing he said in her praise was that she never claimed a right to her children's obedience on the plea that she was his mother. Then, said Mildred gravely, he was either unacquainted with the teaching of God's word or had no respect for them. For there are very many passages that teach children the duty of obedience to parents and others that command parents to see to it that their children are obedient to them. There is the fifth commandment, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Again, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother, and many others. Then to parents, correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest, yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul and many others of like import, while Solomon tells us, a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And how sorely Eli was punished for not restraining his sons when they made themselves vile. Also God says, in commendation of Abraham, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. And do you not remember that under the Levitical law, 
the punishment of a refusal to be obedient to parents was death? Is that so? I had quite forgotten it, said Flora. Mildred opened a Bible, and turning to the twenty-first chapter of Deuteronomy, read aloud, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father, or the voice of his mother, and that, when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of his city, and unto the gate of his place, and they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. I acknowledge that you have proved your case against my author, said Flora thoughtfully. Either he was ignorant of the teachings of Scripture on that point, or he chose to disregard them, which nobody has a right to do. No, that is true, said Mildred. As the word of God, whose creatures we are, it should be to all of us the rule of faith and practice, a tribunal from which there is no appeal, whose decisions are final. I have noticed, remarked Flora, that you all seem to regard it in that light, and to have a great love for it, too. Yes, said Mildred, and no wonder. Its precious promises have been our comfort and support in many trials, some of them very heavy. I think those sweet promises were all that kept my mother's heart from breaking when she heard that her two sons had been killed by the Indians. Must have been dreadful, Flora said with sympathy, but it wasn't true. Not of both, but of one, Mildred answered with emotion. Oh, my dear, dear brother, she cried in a sudden burst of grief. Flora went to her and put her arms about her. Don't weep so, she said. Think how happy he is where he has gone, and how safe. No one can ever make him suffer again. I know, and what a comfort it is, said Mildred. What joy in the thought that we shall all meet at last in that blessed land, never to part again, and to be forever with the Lord. From that day, Flora seemed a changed girl, ready to talk and take an interest in those about her, to appreciate and respond to their efforts to entertain her, and she was particularly demonstrative and affectionate toward Mildred. End of chapter 13th